Lord, hear our prayers. Give us ears to hear you speak to us today. To the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, my name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at CPC, and I'm going to be preaching from the passage that was just read. And before I do, though, I have to acknowledge that there is a lot going on in America right now. Um, On the one hand, we have COVID and all the various losses associated with it and responses to it. On the other hand, we have the long-held systemic biases in our culture and um, the extrajudicial killings of unarmed black men and women in our country. And people are protesting and um, angry and grieved, and rightfully so. And if you're wondering if this sermon is going to address all of those things, the, the answer is sort of, because God's word is relevant. This will ha- no, no doubt have a bear on how we engage in these uh, conversations that our culture and our nation is having, but it will leave you unsatisfied. It is not going to address everything. And so, if, especially if you're new to CPC and you're wondering, does the Bible have anything to say about these um, relevant issues that are happening right now? The answer is yes. And I'd love to have a conversation with you and enter into that dialogue if you would like. And I'm sure the rest of our staff would as well. So please reach out to us if you have any questions um, about Christ and the Bible and what, um, what it teaches. But now we are turning... Uh, to the Sermon on the Mount, to the words of Jesus, which we began uh, months ago, and we took a break from for a while, um, and now we're back for a couple of sermons. And as we dive into Matthew 7, uh, let me uh, turn to the Lord again in prayer. Lord, we are broken by the brokenness of this world. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Lord, would you come and make it right? Would you come and bring your justice and your mercy? Lord, let justice roll. And let uh, your salvation be known to the ends of the earth. Give us ears to hear your word now. And empower us to love you and our neighbor. To the glory of God and to the good of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know what an oxymoron is, right? It's not an insult. It is a figure of speech. It's when two contradictory terms are put in conjunction together in a somewhat shocking uh, way that just doesn't, doesn't always feel right, like jumbo shrimp or um, a, a numb feeling or a devout atheist. Or you might even think of uh, Andy Warhol's famous quote, I'm a deeply superficial person. Um, oxymorons, uh, they, they just sound weird when we hear them. But you know what isn't an oxymoron and should be? Judgmental Christian. Judgmental Christian should, should sound so foreign and distasteful and weird to our ears, and yet it often feels very common, especially in American Christianity. The indie singer-songwriter Noah Gunderson wrote a song to Jesus, and in that song he says uh, what many of our neighbors might feel. He says, Jesus, Jesus, there are those who say they love you, but they have treated me so expletive mean. And I know you say forgive them, for they know not what they do, but sometimes I think they do. You know, maybe you've felt that pain, and you've wondered, what does Jesus have to say about judgmentalism and hypocrisy. 
Um, and, and, you know, I've felt that pain as well. And so I can't get defensive when I hear others say that that's their perception of the church. In fact, um, there's data to back this up. Two Christian uh, writers and leaders, uh, Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, published a book some years ago called Unchristian. And in that book, they actually interviewed thousands of non-Christians between the ages of 16 and 29 years old. Um, remember, this, this book um, is actually eight years old, so now that would be 24 to 36-year-olds. Uh, but they interviewed these, these people who are non-Christians, um, and they asked them, what is your perception of Christianity? How would you describe Christians? And of all the ways that they could describe Christians, the number two and number three thing that was the most common description was judgmental and hypocrisy or judge that, that, that Christians were judgmental and hypocritical. That's what Christians are known for. And, and over 50% of the respondents said that they based that not on something they read in the media or saw on TV, but in direct encounters with Christians. Friends, we have a reputation of being judgmental and hypocritical. And sadly, I think in many cases we've earned it, but this is not the way it should be. In fact, judgmental Christian should feel like two opposite and contrary things put together like an oxymoron. So what does Jesus have to say about it? Well, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus anticipated that that might be the case. And so he addressed uh, both judgmentalism and hypocrisy here in these passages. And what we have to understand uh, as we enter in this discussion um, is, is we're going to look at these three things. Um, what does it mean to judge someone else? What makes it so wrong? And what do we do to fix it? So judge not, Jesus said. What did he mean? What does he mean by not by judging not? Look at verse 1. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. What does it mean to judge? Well, first, it might be helpful to say what it doesn't mean. I don't think that it means that we never acknowledge sin. I don't think it means that. I don't think it means that we call evil good or good evil, or that we uh, level the playing ground and say, well, nobody's perfect, so who am I to judge? That might sound like what Jesus is saying here, but if it did, then the church would lose its prophetic voice. We would never be able to speak out about the greed of capitalism or the emptiness of the sexual revolution or draw people's attention to the sanctity of all life or justice for all people. In fact, we would never be able to uh, warn one another of sin or even confess and repent of our own sin if we couldn't name sin as sin, if we couldn't point out the brokenness and the rebellion of this world. And I think it comes down to um, a confusion between these two terms. I see it inside and outside the church, uh, this confusion between acceptance and approval. I think sometimes we, we think um, to accept someone means that I have, a, I have to approve of them and everything they do and think and stand for. Um, and, that, and that's what it actually means to accept someone is to approve of everything. Or we flip it on its head and we say, well, if I accept someone who disagrees with me in these various ways, then am I condoning the things they do? Am I giving my approval to them? And, and the answer is, is we've confused those two terms and conflated them. You can accept someone without approving everything they do. And we do this all the time. We do this with ourselves. We accept ourselves many times. 
um, even though um, if, if I were to only be friends with people that I approved of uh, everything they did and said, I couldn't even be a friend with myself because I don't approve of everything I do and everything I say. Um, we do this with our children and our friends and our family. You know, when my son does something that, uh, you know, harmful to his sister, I don't approve of that behavior, but I still accept my son. So I don't think what Jesus is saying here um, is that to, to live without judgment means that we have to approve of everything and we have to never acknowledge sin. I don't think that's what he's saying. But what is he getting at? What is he saying? Well, I think he's getting at something deeper. I think he's getting uh, not, not just in how, at how we classify sin or our thoughts or our positions on various um, things that are ethical or moral. I think he's actually getting at our own hearts and our own perception of ourselves. He's getting at something deeper, at our motivations, our way of living in this world, um, and, and how we see ourselves and other people. Um, I think what he's actually getting at is when we judge other people, it's not that we're, we're making a judgment about some sin. When we judge, we're actually going the next step and we're saying, I am superior to you and you are inferior to me. Dr. King called this the drum major instinct. He said we all have this instinct within us to, um, to be the drum major, to be out front, in front of everyone else, celebrated and, and admired. And then this is our, our natural instinct, not, not the instinct just to be good or to be right, but to be better or more right than our neighbor and to be celebrated for it. And we see this coming out in all sorts of ways. Of course, we see this coming out in racial superiority um, and, and, uh, and how that has wreaked uh, just terrible consequences in our nation's history all the way into the present. Uh, but we see it in lots of other subtle ways as well. We see it in, in the various ways that we find our, superior, our superiority over others. And when we find ourselves to be superior, that means that we're often looking at others as inferior. And that's at the heart of judgment. The heart of judgment is saying, I'm actually above you. I'm looking down at you. And we divide people into two groups of people. There's the inferior and the superior. You know, Jesus told a parable in Luke's gospel um, that went something like this. Two men went to the temple to pray, and one of them said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. See, the man in that parable was judging. He was pronouncing judgment, and he found himself to be worthy of compliment. He found himself to be superior to others and for others to be inferior to him. But I wonder, how might Jesus uh, apply that parable in our day? You know, what is it that we say when we go to pray? What is it that we console ourselves with? Or, or what scorecard do we use to judge the world? Now, we might not look around and say, you know, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. But maybe we say, you know what? I'm not gullible and uninformed like these other people who watch the liberal media. God, I'm so glad I'm not a Democrat. Or maybe we say, God, I'm, I'm so glad that I, I'm not a Republican. Or maybe we say, God, I'm so glad that um, I actually value life and wear a mask when I go out on the streets to protect other people. 
or maybe you're saying, God, I'm so glad that I'm not um, sheepish and uninformed. And you know, I'm so glad that I don't wear a mask when I go out because it's not really doing anything. It hits a little close to home, doesn't it? See, we can, we can judge about anything. We can find almost anything to consider ourselves superior to others. I once heard of someone bragging that they had 20-20 vision. You know, what did you do to, to gain your eyes? You did nothing. But we can boast in anything. We can find anything to divide us. And what we end up doing is we end up finding ourselves to be in the superior group and judging others and looking down at them for being inferior to us and unworthy of our love and attention or even human dignity. And we can do, we can do that with anything. We can, we can do that with anything. Um, I could go on and on, but I won't. Um, but you know what? I think this is one of the most egregious sins of the American church. I think this is actually one of the most egregious sins in our own tradition as Presbyterians in the PCA. We often look at other churches and traditions as less than. And we think that we have the, the corner market on truth and on the way to do church. You know, I wonder if this is also one of the most egregious sins in my own life, because I know how easy it is for me to look to my deeds to both condemn or, or to justify me. And I know that I can even look at not judging others as a thing that makes me superior and say, well, those people over there judge and they're the hypocrites and I'm not. And so you might be thinking, though, well, if, if this is just human nature, um, if this is just what we're all doing, then what makes it so bad? It's only bad if you're like grossly uh, pretentious or grossly self-unaware and think that, you know, you're actually way better than you are, right? Well, no, to, to understand what makes uh, being a judgmental Christian so wrong, um, we have to unpack it a little bit more. And Jesus does that for us uh, in these next few verses. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what is Jesus doing here? This is sarcasm at its finest. This is satire, it's hyperbole, and it's memorable in its absurdity. No one walks around with a log in their eye. It's not even physically possible. But he's showing us that for, for a Christian to judge another person is not only wrong, it's absurd. There is an absurdity to judgmentalism for the Christian. And the reason why is because Christians are people who are saved not for being better than others, but saved by grace. Here's what I mean. If you're a Christian, we're, throughout the pages of the New Testament, we see unequivocally that salvation is a gift of God given from him to us, and that even the faith to receive salvation as a gift and a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
that Jesus is the one who went to the cross, not us. Jesus is the one who died and atoned for our sins, not us. He is the one who brings us to the Father. The Spirit is the one who works in our hearts to to remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He's the one who creates love for God and love for our neighbor in us. In fact, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those are fruits of the Spirit. And it's not just um, our good deeds that are a gift, not, not just our good, the good work of faith that's a gift, but all things that we have are a gift from God. Every single thing we have, every breath we take is dependent upon his mercy and kindness and generosity. Our work ethic, our um, access to education, our access to mentors and disciples, uh, people who could disciple us, Bible studies for us to attend, books to read to learn about God and his word, uh, churches to attend that preach the gospel to us. All of these things are gifts. They're gifts given to us by God. Everything good that we have is a gift received from the Father. The Apostle Paul explicitly lays it out um, in Corinthians. He says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It is absurd for Christians to boast because even your good works, everything you have is a gift. It's absurd for you then to consider yourself as superior for something that's been given to you by God. But it actually is even, it's, it's even worse than that. Um, it's absurd because we're saved by grace and the gift of, of God's work in our life. But it's also absurd because of the action itself. Look at what we're doing when we judge someone, when we find ourselves to be superior, we're not just seeing them as inferior to us. We're actually putting ourselves in the place of God. We're inhabiting a role and a function that only God has. Um, and, and we see this elsewhere in the New Testament. See, James tells us that, that there, there really are only two types of people in the world. Um, but it breaks down like this. There are the law keepers and the law breakers. And here's the problem. There's, there's only ever been one law keeper, and that's Jesus. He's the only one who fulfilled the law and, and um, embodied the law to its fulfillment and lived by it every day of his life without sin. The rest of us, every single person who's ever lived um, on this earth is a lawbreaker. And so when we go to another lawbreaker and we put ourselves above them, what we're saying is, I'm actually above the law. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you as only God can. James uh, says it this way. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then listen to this. He goes on to say in chapter 4, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you hear what James is saying? 
He's saying when, when you pass judgment on one another, you not only make yourself superior to them, you put yourself in God's seat. And when you do that, you put yourself above the law that you break. And you presume that you are not a lawbreaker, but one who is a judge over even the law and your neighbor. So to judge another for a Christian is absurd. It is absurd because we've been saved by grace, and it's absurd for us to climb into the judgment seat of God and to assume that role. So how do we fix it? How can we change this uh, perception about us in our culture? Well, Jesus uh, addresses that too, and he does it in, in a kind of a weird way. He does it by talking about dogs and hogs. Did you catch that in the passage? Um, look at what he says. It's, it's not just the absurdity of, of judgment that he points out. He also points us to the audacity of grace. He says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What is Jesus doing? What's, what's with the dogs and hogs? Well, I, I think what he's doing is he's telling us that the way of Christ, the kingdom of God, is, is not um, the natural way of seeing things. But the kingdom of God is a subversive, upside-down kingdom where the last will be first and the first will be last. And any other way of looking at the world is, uh, is a natural, earthly way of seeing it. See, what, what do dogs and pigs have in common? They're mentioned in a few places throughout Scripture, and they always have the same thing in common. It's simple. They're both animals. And um, animals aren't humans. They, they don't reason like humans. They don't think about the world like humans. Um, you know, imagine that you go to the park with your dog. And um, your dog is, is sitting there. What, what's your dog thinking about? Um, you might like to think that he's contemplating... Um, you know, complex Euclidean geometry or the beauty of the sunset or the mystery of the universe, but he's not. Your dog is thinking about one of three things, food, sex, or domination. He's either smelling something to eat and looking where it, to, to where it comes from. He's either seeing a dog that um, he wants to mate, or he's trying to establish his order, uh, his pecking order and his rank in the society that he's in. And, uh, and that's what animals do. You know, I just watched the fantastic Mr. Fox with my children. And um, there's a couple of times where the, the character says to his wife, remember what we are? We are wild animals. We might have that, uh, a collar on and a necktie, and we might be in a Wes Anderson movie, but we are wild animals and we can fight. So what is Jesus saying about throwing your pearls before swine? Um, I, th I think this is what he's saying. I think he's saying that, that animals, you know, there's a way of living in this world that, that's more like an animal. It's a way that is measuring everything with a scorecard, trying to find your rank in the world, trying to measure up, trying to get what you can get in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And that's not the way of the kingdom of God. The way of the kingdom of God is a way of grace. It's a way of mercy. It's a way of turning this natural world upside down. See, those dogs, um, they don't contemplate the, the, the mystery of the universe or the beauty of God. And the natural man doesn't either. He doesn't, see, he doesn't see God as beautiful. He doesn't see the gospel as beautiful. He might find 
God useful to him. And, um, and the one who judges others, who passes judgment, may actually even be using uh, religion to climb the ladder and to judge others. But the natural man cannot find the gospel to be beautiful. He will trample the gospel under his foot, just like a pig, just like pearls before swine. And so Jesus is telling us, in order to, um, to get out of the mindset of judgment and hypocrisy, if we're judging others, if we're passing judgment on them, if we're trying to see ourselves um, as better than them and putting ourselves in the seat of God, what we're actually doing is living in the natural way of living in this world. We're not living out the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. So here's the good news. The good news is that we hear and believe the gospel. That's what it takes to humble ourselves. See, when Jesus told that parable about the man going to the temple to pray, who said, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other men. Do you remember there was another man there? And that man beat his chest and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the man who went home justified that night. See, in the economy of the kingdom of Christ, the one who is, who is justified is the one who knows his sin and the one who knows his need of grace and mercy. The one who knows that he's a law breaker, who's not above the law, but will be judged by God. And so approaches his neighbor with humility and respect. And, and even when he calls out sins, even in times that require um, that sins be called out sharply and directly, he still does so. She still does so with humility, recognizing that she too is a lawbreaker in need of God's mercy. So here's the good news for us. We can repent. We can um, remember the gospel that we first heard. We can see that we are lawbreakers in need of mercy. And then we can delight in the beauty of the gospel. And we can live in gratitude for our salvation, receiving everything we have as a gift, which brings us even more humility and gratitude to God, who is the good gift giver. And it also means that we can treat our neighbor, our brother, our sister, even our enemies with respect as those who bear the image of God and who stand like us in need of God's mercy. Can you imagine a community like that? Can you imagine... Um, a place where you could actually be honest about your sins because you knew that you wouldn't be judged or rejected, but you'd be welcomed as a fellow sinner. Can you imagine a place that um, went out into the world and proclaimed not their own goodness, but the righteousness of another? Can you imagine a group of people who, who went out in the world and said, don't follow me, follow Jesus. He is the one who came to mend what is broken and to make things right. That's the community that Christ is calling us to, not a community of judgmental Christians. May judgmental Christian uh, become an oxymoron. May it become a mystery, a riddle, something that doesn't make sense. And may we be known for our humility and our grace. May it be so in Santa Barbara and may it be so in us today. Amen.